Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are served from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band, full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more info. About how she basically got thrown off of Facebook and how uh, she got back on Facebook. So I don't want to give away too much of that story. Um, but I've been talking a lot lately about an alternative platform that we really need an alternative platform. And apparently we're getting close to such a platform, um, actually coming to fruition. And I'll be talking about that tomorrow with a person who is instrumental in creating it, a tech giant, a tech genius who, uh, who just figured, you know, that uh, if they're going to keep b- blocking conservatives off of the Facebook and Twitter and PayPal and all the rest of it, there have got there's a market for an alternative, and I I agree um, with that. And I got to tell you, the way that they are going about it, many of these um, tech and social media platforms, is so disgusting to me, and they've made such terrible alliances that it's time to push back. You know, and you have to you have to be willing to take on a fight like this. For instance, um, PayPal just admitted that they basically collude with the Southern Poverty Law Center. And I talked about the SPLC yesterday at great length and how disgusting it is to me that anybody would, uh, you know, would follow them and think that their hate list was actually important. You know, their hate list is a political agenda. It's politically motivated, and it has nothing to do with hate. It has everything to do with liberalism versus conservatism. PayPal CEO Dan Schulman admitted to the Wall Street Journal that they work with the far-left Southern Poverty Law Center to decide who to blacklist from their platform. His, His conversation with the Wall Street Journal came just one day after PayPal banned a reporter named Luke Rolfing, who writes for Big League Politics, from their platform. Now, we know they banned Laura Loomer from their platform because I kept getting these notices from my PayPal account saying we could not process your payment um, to Laura Loomer because I contribute to her every month. I think her work is important and somebody, you know, if we all contributed just a little bit like I do, she could continue to do this kind of investigative journalism and in-your-face journalism, which is what she does. And since I'm not able to do it and really not willing to do it at my age, it's too much work, um, I, I will contribute so that she can do it. But I can't do that through PayPal anymore. Citing diversity and inclusion as the most important values for the company. This is this uh, Dan Schulman from PayPal. He lays out their relationship with the Southern Poverty Law Center in making blacklisting decisions. Think about that. In America, people are being blacklisted from what are virtually the few platforms where there's an exchange of goods for services or an exchange of money uh, for services. As opposed to, you know, the, the definition of who you are and then how you react to the context that you find yourself in, he said that 2017's deadly Unite the Right rally was the catalyst for their blacklisting of conservatives. 
This is despite the fact that many of those blacklisted from PayPal, including Laura Loomer, Gavin McInnes, and this reporter, Luke, have been opposed to the rally since day one. <laughs> Go figure. Shulman is a donor to Hillary Clinton, also discussed the difficulty in finding the line between free speech and hate, stating that nobody teaches it to you in college. Nobody has defined it in the law. So it appears that he chose to go to the Southern Poverty Law Center, who were forced to pay an anti-radical Islam activist, who happens to be Muslim, millions of dollars for defaming him as an anti-Muslim extremist. He says there are those both on the right and the left that help us. Southern Poverty Law Center has brought things we don't always agree. We have our debates with them. We are very respectful with everyone coming in. We will do the examination carefully. That's a crock. It's a crock. These people are censoring conservatives. And it's easy to see why. Because we let them get away with it. That's why. Because we don't fight back. Because we act as if... Um, they are morally superior in some way. And that's why I happen to be a big fan of this president. In light of the fact that I didn't get my wall, at least he's standing up about the wall. You know, I was thinking about, oh, there was an article also, I think it was by Dennis Prager, about why so many people really wanted the attack on Jesse Smollett to be true. You know, they were really rooting for it to be true. And if you listen to some of the comments that have been made in the last few days um, upon finding out that the Chicago Police Department had tons of evidence against Jesse, um, you listen to what they say, and it's so revealing, okay? You had Eric Swalwell, the moron, I mean, the Democrat from California, who tweeted, I hope this was not something that Mr. Smollett did to himself or created. Washington Post columnist Jonathan Capehart told MSNBC that there has been, quote, an atmosphere of menace and hate, end quote, since Donald Trump was elected president, which made, quote, people want to believe Smollett's story. Exactly. Capehart happens to be black, happens to be a lefty. He wanted to believe that racists were yelling, this is MAGA country, while they were beating up black people. He wants to believe that. Another one who writes for the Washington Post, Nana Afua Mumford. I wanted to believe Smollett. I really did. I mean, listen to what they're saying. Again, exactly. I wanted to believe that racists yelling, this is MAGA country, beat up black people. They want to believe it. Corey Townsend, the social media editor of The Root, which is a black-oriented website that was founded by Henry Louis Gates back in the mid 2008, I think, opened his column on his private doubts that Smollett was attacked. So in other words, from the beginning, he didn't buy the story. As he claimed with the words, I wanted to be wrong. Three paragraphs later, I still wanted to be wrong. That should tell you everything you need to know about just how morally and psychologically sick the left really is. And their reactions prove how little racism there really is in America. Think about that. 
when American Jews, even the most left-wing Jews, heard about the mass killing of Jews at a Pittsburgh synagogue, how many were hoping the shooter was truly an anti-Semite and how many were hoping he was a mentally deranged individual who could have just as easily shot up a church? Or if a well-known Jew had been beaten at 2 a.m. on a Chicago street, how many American Jews would have wanted the attackers to be Jew-haters and how many would have wished that they were just thugs who wanted money? The majority of Jews certainly liberal Jews and conservative Jews and even the most left-wing Jews would have wished that neither the Pittsburgh synagogue nor the theoretical attack on a Chicago street were perpetuated by anti-Semites. They don't want to believe that there are anti-Semites. But the left? See, Jews want to believe there's a little anti-Semitism in America. But leftists, most black and white leftists, they want to believe there's a lot of racism in America. That is a big fundamental difference, isn't it? And why is that? It's because the left and many people in this country who are politically and personally dependent on the greatest, uh, you know, government in the country really need America to be racist. If just one out of every five black Americans woke up tomorrow and said, hey, you know, this is a great country for anyone, including me. It's a great country to live in. And the truth is, the vast majority of white Americans bear no ill will towards me or any other race or ethnicity. You know what would happen? Well, I'll tell you what would happen. The Democrats would never win another election. That's what would happen. So I assure you, they are rooting for racism. And why? You know, because they, they, it's a, they're all about power. It's all about power. How many, how many Americans, black or white or Hispanic or anything else, living in the freest country uh, uh, for all of its citizens in the world in the least racist, the most multicultural country in the entire world, still want to believe that America's racist? That is a very important question, and we have to start answering that question. The real question is, does the left really believe their lies? Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Just trying to make sense of some of these uh, stories. And you can't, you can't even make sense of them. I, I mean, I, I'm still trying to figure out why this Born Alive Survivors Protection Act has caused so much consternation in Washington. Uh, you know, I, I was listening to Tammy Duckworth last night and I just have to scratch my head. Can you put the computer back on, please? We know the partisan extremist playbook it comes out of, one based not in fact, but in fiction, steeped in ignorance and misogyny. The goal here is obvious, to bully doctors out of giving reproductive care, 
to scare them out of business, one potential lawsuit or jail sentence at a time, making it even harder for women to get the care they need when they need it most as the numbers of physicians available shrinks. This is just the latest step in the far right's long march to strip away women's rights, a march whose pace has now quickened under our current president. You know, somebody help me out here. I, I mean, I'm just struggling with this particular um, aspect of the choice movement, as it likes to call itself. Um, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act is a bill that protects babies who survive an abortion attempt. How is that even remotely controversial what is tammy duckworth really talking about how does that impinge on reproductive freedom I, I, you know reproductive freedom is access to birth control reproductive freedom is access to alternatives if you uh, don't feel qualified or capable to take care of an infant and you're impregnated then there are alternatives that uh, you that are available to you adoption is one of them Current federal policy doesn't protect babies that are born alive during a botched abortion. And all this act says is that you must provide proper medical care to an infant who survives an abortion. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about early term abortions. There's no surviving in that case. We're talking about later term abortions. For a baby to survive, they have to be viable. And the thought that we're arguing about this, that we are going to argue that doctors who do whatever is necessary to um, take care of the life that has come, whatever happened to like, you know, do no harm. It's hard to believe that anybody would oppose such a policy. I mean, Tammy Duckworth is a woman, a mother. Does she really, can she shut off the mother part of her brain? when she's in that uh, body of legislators? You know who's, who's giving her money? Planned Parenthood, the National Abortion Federation, but they're radically out of step with most people. There's nothing difficult about this. It just requires that you would have to give medical care to a baby who survived an abortion. How is that an assault on reproductive health care? I mean, it's amazing to me. They oppose making a federal law crystal clear to support the lives of all babies after they've been born. And they oppose this under women's health? Most of us see this as nonsense. But for the professional abortion lobby, this is what they do. Any lawmaker who adheres to that kind of incoherent extremism should cut it out and just do the right thing. You, you shouldn't have to be wringing your hands and you shouldn't have to debate about this. You should reject infanticide, period. Okay? And, and I love the ones who say, well, the baby's already protected under the Born Alive Infants Protection Act, but they're mistaken. That law clarifies that all infants born at any stage of development are, in fact, persons under the law. doesn't say they have to be protected. They can die. They're just persons. Or they say it's hypothetical. 
that infants don't really survive abortions. <laughs> well, the data shows they're wrong. Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. every Friday night of the year. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are optional. Serve from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band from 7 to 11 playing ballroom, standards, party music, and German traditional. Full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more information. I mean, some debates and some arguments are just too dumb for me to to understand why we engage in them. I, I just, you know, I guess I'm just um, not open-minded about some things. And there's a reason for that. I believe that some things are wrong, you know, like unequivocally wrong, not negotiable. And life is one of those things. It's just, uh, you know, just something that's innate in me, this appreciation for, for life. You know, every morning when I wake up, I realize uh, the first thing I think about is like, you know, thank you. Thank you for another day. You know, thank you that, that, that I believe God breathed life into me again. Some people don't get up. You know, for some people, um, there won't be a tomorrow. And it, it grieves me that we have individuals who believe that they should determine whether life exists or not. And then they sit around and tell me, well, we need more, uh, I'll give you a great example. We need more gun legislation so that uh, the people can't get guns and, and kill everybody. And I always point out, well, you know, if if gun legislation were the answer, then we wouldn't have any problems in Chicago, would we? We wouldn't have any problems in California where they have the most restrictive gun laws in the country. But we do. Because human nature is still human nature. And there are enough guns out there in America today that there will never be a shortage. If you stopped selling all new guns, there are sufficient numbers of guns out there today that bad guys who want guns will always have guns and police will always have guns unless we're going to become like England and we ha ask them to walk around with a billy stick. Kind of hard going up against MS-13 with a stick. They got like heavy-duty weapons. But their argument is that, that gun control um, would preserve life. And my argument is that if we had some reverence, some real uh, appreciation for the value of life, we wouldn't be raising entire generations who thought nothing about shooting other children. But if your whole experience has been, well, let me put it to you this way. If you think that life is only valuable if it's, you know, big, famous, wonderful, wealthy, healthy, and all that other stuff, if you don't think that life in and of itself is valuable, then why would you uh, concern yourself when it comes to behaving violently in a bad, bad way. You know, th this whole idea that now we're really having all these discussions, especially in the, in the western part of this country where the most wackadoodles live, 
we're talking about assisted suicide as though there were no downside to it. Yeah, of course, you know, if you don't want to live anymore and you have a chronic disease or an illness, uh, you should have the right and we should help you do it. This is the kind of insensitivity to life that you see in certain parts of the world. There's just no reverence, no no importance. Yeah, that's an, it's inconvenient. You know, taking care of a relative is inconvenient. You know, taking care of a loved one. You know, sometimes the most incredible stories that I see online or in publications are these stories of people who when, you know, faced with with terminal illnesses or chronic disabilities or, you know, lost limbs, they rise. Still they rise, as Maya Angelou would say. That's the inspiration that we get when we look at uh, when we look at Congressman Brian Mast walking up the steps of the Capitol building on two artificial limbs. That inspires us to greatness. It tells us that life is so precious that some people will fight through the most impossible situations. And when we make heroes out of people like Congressman Mast, instead of out of, uh, you know, cartoon figures, then maybe there will be some reverence for the value of life and the value of, of standing up for what's right. You know, I should not have to be debating whether or not a baby who survives an abortion should be helped. I can't, in my wildest imagination, I never thought that I would have to argue that. And now we have this bill in Maryland, this end of life bill. Let me tell you what I think about this bill, okay? It's not about uh, assisting a person. It's about killing. That's what it is. And the idea that we take that subject so so casually that we we don't care we don't even examine it with from any moral perspective right is really sad and that's why we have so many of the problems that we have the debate over physician assisted suicide actually distracts us from really looking at healthcare options for people at the end of life lawmakers should be thinking about how to expand those choices, the dignified options for patients such as palliative care or hospice care and pain management, the end of life option act that they're looking at in Maryland is not a, it doesn't give people dignity. It denies people dignity. It's a final solution to the challenges of the end of life. I don't want to live in a society um, that, that thinks so little of life, that it's always calculating new and uh, incredible ways to end life, terminate life, or just prevent life. A A AOC, AOC says we just shouldn't have babies. You know, babies are the ultimate inconvenience, and they're messing up the environment. You know, does anybody out there really think about things like, you know, what is the big objection that, that there's, that human beings are responsible for too much di carbon dioxide being emitted? 
does anybody in Washington really understand what carbon dioxide is? What? From that clip, she wasn't saying that, though. No, no, but in general, these climate change people, people, they're talking about carbon dioxide being the problem. Well, greenhouse gases, methane, and all those. Stop. Stop, okay? Because carbon dioxide is necessary for life. Yes, plants. Yes, plants take it and turn it into oxygen. Yes. Okay, so when they talk about, you know, oh, uh, and, and look, uh, there are toxins in the air. How many toxins? Tell me how much, how well, much of the, the, the air is toxins? I wouldn't know. Each you don't know, but you guys different. argue about it as if you did know. You don't know. We don't know. We can't know what it, what's the carbon dioxide versus the methane uh, ratio in the entire world. We don't know. No, you can just. There's no tables. standard. You can just make up crap is what you can do. No, you can grab samples of areas, yes. And and they're in the immediate. It doesn't tell me what the, what the sample will be tomorrow or what the no. te- 12 years down the road. She's talking, we got 12 years to get this straightened out. Because in 12 years, what happens, Hobo? What happens in 12 years? It goes from being less than 2%. She's delusional with her yes, plans, okay? she is. You're and all delusional with that whole line of thinking. No, nah, there has to be a transition at some point. I've always We are transitioning. Yeah. We we are fast. in the process of transitioning. I never when I was growing up, we didn't recycle except because we had nothing. You know, the only reason we recycled was cuz milk came in glass bottles, okay? And then they said, "Oh, this is inconvenient. Let's have, you know, paper cartons and you just throw them away." And we started filling up landfills. But originally, we recycled glass bottles. I still, to this day, you see those bottles I bring my juice yeah. in. I do I bring water in a in a you know in a bottle or do I bring it in a recycle a, a container that yes. I refill? Container. Right. So don't tell me that we haven't changed. We have, yes. and it's insignificant. The amount of damage we do or the amount of changing we do is so minor. I think it was was it Levin or or Rush somebody who who said if you had a stadium with a thousand people in it, okay. Okay. And you four people would be the amount of carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases that were emitted. Four of the thousand people sitting in the stadium. Okay. I'm listening. It's insignificant. Four out of a thousand. It's insignificant, Hobo. And that's what that that's why uh so many scientists are frustrated having this argument because it's not that we say it doesn't exist we're just saying it is minuscule compared to so many other aspects that c- control climate control the air we breathe control the water that we drink believe me i don't think we should be dumping toxins into potable water okay nobody believes that you know no no it's not because of climate change that i don't believe it it's because it's irrational the same way I tell you that when you smoke a cigarette or you smoke a vape, it's irrational to me that you think sucking vapor or hot air or nicotine or tar, any of that other stuff, in your lungs is not going to matter. No, it's going to matter. It will matter. Same thing with those gases. But, the, the, but okay. it's in, Hold it'd up, be like me vaping once. Quick, we just have to look at one planet over. One planet over. You, if you increase those gases, now I'm not saying we're that extreme, but that would be the example. Okay. Just one planet over. But this isn't one planet over. This is the Earth. Yeah, but. No, yeah, but. And I'm not saying that I don't think humans should be responsible about how they interact with the environment. I believe they should be. But I think this insanity, if we've got 12 years and then we have to retrofit every, it's crazy. 
It's just nuts talk. To and and it, it, at that pace, it, causes, it causes people a tremendous amount of anxiety. It implies that somehow I'm destroying the future for my children. I am not destroying the future of my children. I have done enormous... I recycle, and sometimes I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, listen, America was the first to start doing all that stuff, right? If I'm not mistaken. Well, we were also one of the most industrialized nations yeah. ever. And we started having smog issues and everything else, and that's when we And we cleaned them up, didn't yeah. we? You notice where the major smog issues are in the country? Not here. Right. New York and California, right? So they talk the talk, but they don't really walk the walk. You know, they just want everybody else to conform to these retro-fitting-your-house-green standards. But they themselves, well, they're still going to have their private planes. They're still going to leave a carbon footprint five times the size of mine. Oh, boy. More craziness of these hoaxes. I don't even want to cover these stories anymore because they're so depressing. And I'm afraid they give ideas to other hoaxers. Wonder what happens to Jorge Marmos now. Uh, you know, now that he's experienced socialism and a lack of freedom of the press today, I'm sure he'll be on just about every... Uh, television show when he gets back if he gets back right the press workers union of venezuela said that a team from univision are about to be deported they went to caracas to interview nicolas maduro including our friend jorge ramos and it is confirmed that the univision team will be deported immigration authorities came to the hotel to notify them that they would be taken to the airport Early in the morning, it reported that the hotel where the team, uh, led by Jorge, was put up, has been taken over by Venezuela's uh, SEBN Intelligence Service. According to the union, the team was escorted from the presidential palace in Miraflores to the hotel. That's where my papa's house is in Puerto Rico in a town called Miraflores. Anyway, hosted by seven agents, Univision anchor and Enrique Acevedo shared a video on Twitter of Ramos speaking from his hotel on being released from the presidential palace. He and his team were detained for two and a half hours after Maduro we got a little ticked off with their questions and a video that they showed him of some children eating out of garbage. I asked him if I can call him either a president or a dictator. Because, well, let me do it in Jorge's voice. I asked him if I can call him either a president or a dictator because millions of Venezuelans do not consider him a president. Then we discussed the flood that happened here on May of 2018. Also, the reports of torture and human rights abuses of political prisoners. This he's saying in the video. Still haven't quite learned your yet lesson yet, have you, Jorge? And at the end, I showed him a video that I personally took last Sunday of three children behind a trash truck looking for food. And he just couldn't stand it. He did not want to continue the interview. Uh, okay, then he said the Minister of Communications, Jorge Rodriguez, said the interview was unauthorized and confiscated all the cameras, all the video, all their cell phones. Ramos was accompanied by Maria Martinez, Claudia Rondon, Francisco 
Urezia Teta, and Juan Carlos Guzman and Martin Guzman. Maybe they're brothers, not sure. President of News for Univision, Daniel Coronelli, said on Twitter that their team was being monitored by the Sebin at the hotel. Acevedo also posted the video that Ramos showed Maduro, which depicted people eating out of a garbage truck and saying that Maduro had to be removed from power. In the video, a young man who identified himself as Jesus said he was eating from rubbish for the first time in his life and addressing the president said he was useless. So Jorge Ramos thought it was a good idea to show Maduro a video. <laughs> that poor Jesus kid, I don't know if he's going to have the luck of being uh, deported. It's more like beheaded, but uh, no, thank you, Jorge. This is not the first time reporters have been detained in Venezuela. In January, several press workers were detained, including four from EFE. Uh, they counted 40 aggressions by the state security forces against press workers in the month of January alone. Ah, Jorge, Jorge, you still think uh, that the President Trump is messing with your freedom of the press? I don't think so. See you tomorrow at 10 o'clock if it be his will and he delays his coming. Thank you for listening. God bless you and God bless the United States of America. <laughs>